prayer requests. Let's remember all of them and ask the Lord to move in a mighty way. Let's remember Gloria Sweeney, Sheila Spartman, Craig Spartman, Danny Alvey, and Harold Bryant. And uh, if you have a prayer request by the raising of your hand, the Lord sees that. He knows what that represents. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come before your presence and thank you for this opportunity that you have blessed us to be gathered here today. Thanking you, Lord, that you have given us the ability and strength and, and our health that we're able to be here to give you honor. I pray, Lord, that you would bless each and every one that is here. Maybe some are sick in body. Touch Sister Sabrina and continue to give her healing, Lord, in her body. And I pray, Lord, that you would move in a mighty way for each and every one that is gathered here this morning, that we will all feel your power and your presence and know, Lord, that you are here. I pray, Lord, that you would move in a mighty way for those who's watching by way of webcast or those who will watch by way of on demand at a later time. I pray, Lord, that you would just show your power. And, Lord, we're going to give you honor and glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a mighty hand. Amen, amen. While you're still standing, let's go to John. John chapter 6. And uh, we're going to begin reading. And I want to uh, always uh, take the Word of God. When we study, uh, kind of uh, take it verse by verse and look at it in a way that maybe we all can uh, receive a little more information. Uh, I remember when I first started serving the Lord, I would read uh, certain things in the Bible, but I wouldn't have a clue of what it was talking about, what was in reference. And uh, one of those things uh, was mandrakes. And uh, I want everybody to go and do a, a search and research on mandrakes and come back and we'll discuss that one day and let you, uh, let you know what mandrakes are. If you know what mandrakes are, uh, it has nothing to do with ducks. <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, John chapter 6, verse 16, that has nothing to do with our lesson either. John chapter 6 and verse number 16. Uh, I want to begin reading. And it says, And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nine to the ship, and they were afraid. And they, uh, he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. They didn't know it was Jesus. You see, uh, I'll tell you a little more about this in a moment. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. And I want to uh, stop right there, and we're going to talk about this situation uh, where uh, there's a storm, it's nighttime, the uh, sea is rising up, and we're going to get a little background of why all these people were always fearful when they saw something on the sea, when they saw something coming toward them out of the dead of night on the sea. And uh, we want to go to the Lord in prayer as we study this morning. This is going to be our lesson, Walking on Water. 
let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come before your presence. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. I pray that you would help us to take the word, study it, and we would expound it fully. And I pray, Lord, that we would all leave here with more knowledge than we came. And, Lord, I'm going to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory, for it's all in your mighty name, the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Give the Lord another mighty hand clap, and you may be seated. One of the things that um, has always been fearful is the sea. You've got to remember the ocean and sea is different environment today than what it was back in the disciples' day. Uh, people take cruises all the time, and they're out at sea at night. They have lights. They have uh, electricity. They have all these things uh, on, the, on the ship they're on. So they're not really in the pitch of darkness. They're not really in a place of complete uh, darkness. Now, uh, I've never been on a cruise, but I have uh, stood on the beach and looked out in the ocean where there is no lights and nothing, and you can only see so far, and then it is pitch black. It is so dark, and, and it seems like that the beauty of the ocean of the daytime takes on a little fearfulness of the nighttime. Nobody goes out and swims of the nighttime in the ocean that really knows what they're doing uh, because the ocean can have undercurrents. There's no lifeguards and all those things, so it's a dangerous time. I, I was studying in the book of Revelation, and, it, and one of the things that the new heaven and the new earth uh, that is described is there is no more sea, no more sea, which means there's no more trouble because it goes on and talks about how this trouble is. Now, you can look at it in the natural and say there's no need for any water because we won't need any water and all those things. But uh, most commentaries talk about this particular subject we're looking at right now, and that is uh, the sea presented fearfulness because people would look at the sea and they was afraid to sail at night. They was afraid uh, to do a lot of uh, traveling on the sea at night. And that's why when they saw Jesus, uh, they always had this idea, there's spirits out there. And and there's all sorts of stuff going on at the sea that, that could present a danger. And so they thought Jesus was just that. They thought Jesus was not Jesus. They, they was looking at him many times, and you can find several different descriptions of what we're talking about. And they was fearful, and that's why the Lord would always say to them, It is I, be not afraid. Because how many knows that you can recognize a voice? You know, when, when, uh, when you call home, you don't have to say, Hey, honey, this is Richard. If you do, if you do, I need to meet with all y'all after a while. Uh, we have a little marriage session. Um, I remember, though, uh, many times I would call my nephews and uh, my oldest brother's uh, sons, and uh, I would call them and call my brother's house, and they would say this. Uh, Dad, it's either Uncle Richard or Uncle Bill. Because where they didn't hear our voice all the time, me and my brother do sound alike. So we, we when we talk, we sound alike, and... And uh, so uh, they would say that. But it's the same way on the sea. Remember, there's no, there's no lights. 
There's no electricity. Uh, they're, they're in a boat, an open boat at that. And they also may have had a lamp that they may have had. But you know a lamp only shines so far. So that's all they had. And here they see Jesus coming toward the boat. And all of a sudden they get a little afraid and they get a little upset because uh, you know how it is. Uh, people start talking about how how dangerous something is. And, and back in the day, people would talk about how uh, the sea, they were sea monsters, you know. That's what people would say. Oh, Loch Ness is out there. There's sea monsters or, or there's spirits out there. And, and oh, if you go out there, there's, there's things happen out there, ghost ships and, and all of those things. And those were tales that were told many times even in the disciples' day. They were told about the dangers or the fearfulness of the sea. Now, I want to lay that as a foundation because when the new uh, heaven and a new earth is presented, uh, there's no more sea. And then it starts talking about there'll be no dying, there'll be no, uh, you know, none of those things. So no trouble, nothing that presents itself as a danger. Everything is taken away. And I think that's a good thing to know, that heaven's going to be a good place to go to. Uh, all the dangers are going to be taken away. All of the uh, things that make things fearful is going to be taken away. Uh, we're going to be in a place that is going to be so joyful. And uh, it's going to be a place where there'll be no crying because there's no reason to have any sorrow there. Uh, there's not going to be any crying, no more dying, uh, none of those things. And that's why when you look at this, you see the fearfulness of, uh, you know, especially someone walking on the water. That's enough to make anybody say, wait a minute, I see something coming. And then, the, uh, you know, uh, he speaks, and, and he just simply says, it is I, be not afraid. If you notice in verse number 19, the last few words it says, that when uh, Jesus was walking on the sea and drawing nigh or near unto the ship, they were they were afraid. They were afraid. Because when you see something coming out of the dark, if you're in a dark house and you run into somebody sitting there in a chair and you wasn't expecting them, you're going to go, ooh, <laughs> scared me to death. You know, uh, I've run into to people in the dark. Uh, in the coal mines, you know, if you turn off your headlamp and you're not up around the working section where all the electricity is, it is pitch dark. And people used to scare people all the time. They, you'd be going down the track, and all of a sudden, here somebody jumps out of the midst of the darkness, and, and you about, to, if it wasn't on a track driving itself, you would have wrecked and probably uh, killed them and you too. But uh, looking at this, we find that they were afraid because when they saw Jesus, they didn't know it was Jesus. And I think that a lot of times when we see this illustration, we understand that sometimes when the Lord's trying to tell us something, we don't recognize His voice. We don't recognize it's Him trying to guide us and tell us. It may come from a friend. It may come from a co-worker. It may come from the pulpit. It may come from different people. And, and you're just not hearing that it is the Lord. You don't know it's the Lord. But the Lord always sends us some direction, 
no matter if he has to walk on the sea to get to us, because that's what was happening here. And when they uh, saw that it was him, and he said, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship. And notice what happens to the boat. It immediately gets to the land where they were going. A lot of times when Jesus climbs into a situation, you don't have to keep selling for days and weeks and months in the problem. Remember that. Jesus got in the boat. Now, as long as he was walking freely out on the sea, they were in the sea going through all of this. But then all of a sudden when Jesus gets in the boat, they're immediately at the land. They're immediately there. Now, uh, you know, I don't know if all of a sudden they just like disappeared where they was and appeared on the bank or if that, you know, extra horsepower kicked in and instead of rowing, the boat went. <laughs> but they got the land and the Bible says immediately. I like to say they was transformed or they was transferred, if you will, from where they were to the land very quickly. I think that's an interesting story because we see how that these disciples who knew Jesus did not recognize him when they saw him walking on the sea. Now, how many knows that sometimes when you uh, meet somebody not in the same element that you always know them, and just for instance, um, you meet somebody at church, okay, when you see me, you know me, right? You know me, yeah, Brother Richard. But if I'm out and about and I've been working and I've got on a baseball cap and I got on a sweatshirt and, and uh, I got on tennis shoes and blue jeans and, and, uh, and you just happen to be standing beside of me maybe at Lowe's or something, you might not know that was me. I've, I've actually not known people I worked with for many, many years, and them standing right beside of me, and they get right up, and they keep getting closer. And you know how it is when you're standing in line. Somebody gets too close. I'm this way. I take another step. They take a step. I take a step. And next thing you know, you're, you're, you're out of steps. And I happen to look around at somebody I work with, and they start dying laughing. They say, you didn't even know it's me. And I didn't because I didn't recognize them. So I can see and understand how that... Uh, the disciples did not under, uh, understand it was Jesus. Now, many times Jesus would disguise himself so people would not know it was him. But I think at this point when he was coming, it was just out of character. They had not seen Jesus walking on the water. They had not seen him in this particular element. And when you see people out of element, you don't see things like you normally see. How many how many's ever been a afraid of something at the dark and, and, and you think it's somebody outside your window, you know, like this right here, and you find out it's the branches of the tree. Things don't always look the same when you're fearful. And that's why when people get fearful, sometimes they don't look at Jesus as the healer, as the help, as the hope, as the deliverer. They look at Jesus and just say, oh, something else is coming my way. Something else is going to happen. I believe that we need to get to the place where we say, you know what, I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm not going to worry about what else is going to happen because Jesus is coming to my boat. 
Oh, I feel a little Holy Ghost in this. Jesus is coming to my boat. And if Jesus is coming to my boat, everything's going to be all right. I'm going to make it where I'm going. I'm going to make it to heaven. I'm going to get out of this dilemma because Jesus is coming to my boat. And I began to think about how important it was that as the disciples were in this storm, things looked different in a storm. Things look different in a storm. Uh, I hate to drive at night in a storm because you can't see the sides of the road. You can't see many times the center line. If you drive here in East Kentucky, a lot of times there is no center line. And a lot of times there is no edge of the road. And so uh, I was driving somewhere the other night, and it was pouring the rain. And and I thought, I I just want to get where I'm going because uh, everything looked different. You can't even uh, recognize landmarks. If I'm traveling, you know, and I've traveled that way, I go to Brother Stocks or I go to Northern Kentucky, I go to Tennessee, uh, Ohio, wherever. There's landmarks that you see all the time. You say, yep, I'm on the right road. I remember that and I remember that. But of the nighttime, remember this is nighttime, of the nighttime and in a storm, you don't see all that. You're focused just what is in front of you. So if anything comes out of the dark, if it's a deer, you're going to hit it. If it's a coyote, well, it's a dead coyote. If it's a dog, well, sorry, ma'am, your dog's dead. But, uh, you know, uh, things come out of the dark, and sometimes it startles you. I don't know anybody that a deer didn't jump out in in, in the dead of night that they just kept driving saying, yeah, that's a deer. No, you hit your brake, you grab both hands on the wheel, you swerve, you scream. loudest me and my wife when I hit that deer she's going deer I said yes ma'am she wasn't hollering at me deer she was deer (laughs) so when it come out of the blue and hit in the headlights I knew all of a sudden I was in trouble Jesus walked on the water to his disciples. They were afraid. They were fearful. They had heard all the stories of all these people. And sometimes it's hard for us to be spiritual when we keep listening to the world. The world has their own view of everything that goes on. They say, oh, that healings don't happen like they used to. Miracles don't happen like they used to. God don't move like he used to. Uh, you need to do this, that, or the other. God is still the same. He has never, ever changed. He's still the same. Amen. I want to look for Jesus in my storm. Sometimes in the storm, you're looking for a lot of things, more trouble. You know, how many has ever said when it rains, it pours? It seems like that when one thing hits, another thing hits. It seems like sometimes it's like a domino effect. One starts falling, and next thing you know, it just keeps on going. But you know, if we can get into the place where we understand, I may be in my storm now. It may be even dark now. And if I can look at that in symbolism We find ourselves in the darkness of our storms when the devil would like to tell us that Jesus is not coming. And then he wants us to be fearful. And I want to help us not to be fearful. Uh, 
couple of scriptures I want to throw at you. First of all, we have not been given the spirit of fear. Don't be fearful. And then there's another scripture in Revelation that says, even the fearful are going to be cast into hell. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. All you got to remember is Jesus is coming to your boat. Don't be afraid. I'm going to look for him in my storm when it's the darkest time, when it's the lowest of time, when I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know what lays ahead. I'm still going to look for Jesus to come where I am. I will look for Jesus in my storm. Some people isolate from other people and even from God when they face a storm. It's almost like the storm uh, isolates them and, and puts them in a corner somewhere. But we need to stand up in the midst of the storm. And, and, and these disciples finally realized that it was Jesus. When he spoke, it is I, be not afraid. All the fearfulness was gone when Jesus spoke. All the afraid and fearfulness was gone in the midst of a dark sea when Jesus spoke. And the Bible says that when he got in the boat, immediately it was at the land. I'd like to say that there's a lot of storms that we all go through. There's a lot of things we all face. Everybody in this building faces something every day. We face something, sometimes more severe. Sometimes it's sickness and attacks our body. Sometimes it's situations surrounding our families. Sometimes it's other things that come against us and tries to hinder us because the devil wants you to be afraid of everything that's going on. If you're afraid of your own shadow, you'll never get out of your house. If you're afraid that this world is going to kill you with COVID, you'll stay home and, and you won't come to church. If, if you're afraid of these things, the next thing you know you become a hermit and you stay away from the blessings of God but oh if you can just see Jesus walking in the midst of your storm if you can just raise your head enough to see Jesus walking in the midst of your storm he will speak it is I be not afraid oh I don't want to be fearful I don't want to be fearful or afraid He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind. He's helped us. So look at somebody say, he's helped us because he knows we're like the disciples. If the disciples were afraid, fear is a common thing. We, be a, we get afraid. We, we are afraid sometimes. But you know what? I want to be one of these people that says, I'm going to look for Jesus in my storms. Jesus had a response to the crisis. Jesus had a response to their situation. He didn't say, I will calm everything. He didn't come and say, I'm going to take care of this situation. He just simply said, it is I, be not afraid. I think that sometimes that's all we need to know. Jesus is with me when the storm clouds gather. Oh, that's an old song. Nobody knows that song. That's an old song. Jesus is with us when the storm clouds are gathering. 
we got to understand that we can't be afraid every time that something happens that it's going to bring fear and instill fear into us because we won't see Jesus. We will keep looking at the problem, the fear, the situation. And the next thing you know, Jesus is showing up and we're not inviting him into our boat. I want to invite Jesus into my situation because I need him. Ah, you need him this morning. You need him. You need the reassurance uh, that it's Jesus. Jesus gave the reassurance uh, that it is I, uh, be not afraid. It is I, be not afraid. What a great uh, phrase that is to know that Jesus said, I'm here. And he didn't say, I'm going to calm the storm. I'm going to take care of everything. He just said, it is I. That's all I need. Peter learned very quickly, you don't even have to have the storm calmed if you got Jesus. He got out of a perfectly good boat, began to walk on the water to Jesus. A storm is raging, the wind's blowing, everything is chaotic around him. But you know what? As long as he was letting Jesus be the center of it all, he walked to Jesus. You see, the storms are not there to destroy us. The storms are not there to take us out. The storms are not there to make our life fearful. The storms are there so we can start seeing Jesus. Ah, I like to know that Jesus is God of the mountain. I also like to know he's God of the valley. I like to know he's God when the sun shines. I like to know when he's God when it's storming. I don't believe Jesus is just the God of certain things. He's the God of everything. Somebody give a praise unto our God. He is the God of everything. Even in Old Testament times, some people began to tell the man of God, well, you know, they're discussing, uh, the enemy's discussing in their camp first. The enemy's discussing, you know, uh, their God is, is God of the mountain, not God of the valley. You see, sometimes that's what people think. As long as everything's going good, woo, hallelujah, praise Jesus. Oh, we'll talk in tongues, tie ties and everything. But let us get in the valley. The world's not worried about your mountain. I tell you what, when you praise him in the valley, uh, when you praise him in the storm, the world's not so worried about when everything's going your way and you got a good job, you got money in the bank, you got two cars, three and a half kids, and you got all this stuff going on, and your dog ain't biting you, and your cat's still meowing, and all these things. Everything's good. Well, the world ain't worried about that, but they're watching us, the church, when we get in our storm. We get in our storm and praise God. Some people just fall apart. They just praise God. I'm in this storm. I don't know why Jesus won't deliver me. I'm going to go talk to somebody. I'll get this storm taken care of. I'm going to call Tony Cavalier. <laughs> Tony Cavalier can't get you out of your storm. We got to get to the place where we understand that I need Jesus in my storm. I need Jesus when I'm faced with things I can't deal with. I need Jesus. Look at somebody say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. One of the things that uh, Jesus did, he responded to the crisis 
And Jesus just simply said, it is I, be not afraid. Remember, he didn't tell them what he was going to do. But when they got in the boat immediately, they were at the land, which means the storm did not hinder Jesus. The storm may hinder us, but it will never hinder Jesus. The storm may hinder us, but if we will trust in Jesus, with Jesus the storm is not going to hinder us. We're going to get where we're going. Look at somebody and say, I'm going to get where I'm going. I'm going to make it to heaven. I'm going to get where I'm going. I can't allow myself to be wrapped up in all of the fearfulness. Are we going to be in a war? Are we going to have World War III? Is, is things going to change? Is, there, is, is freedoms going to be taken away? Are we, what's the next election going to hold? What's going to happen? And We can't be fearful. Just need to say, you know what? I'm not worried about who's in the White House. I'm worried about who's in the church house. I'm not worried about who's in the governor's house. I'm worried about who's at my house. I'm going to invite Jesus into my house. I'm not worried about anybody else. That's right. I don't, I don't need uh, to put my trust in another election because I'm going to tell you something. If you read your Bible and really believe it, things are not ever going to get better. We're headed toward the worst of the worst of the worst of times. No matter who's there. Well, praise God. If we get somebody in there, we, economy, loaf of bread will be 25 cents a loaf again. No, ain't happening. In fact, there is discussion right now, worldwide, globally, of digital currency. Now, if you've not studied this, I pray that somehow you get to the, where you can study this. Digital currency, which is currency kind of like bitcoins and other things, but it's different. This is going to be the empires of the world controlling it. And the digital currency is in such a way that say you work at a job, well, they're going to put so much in your uh, checking account or your bank account. And then you can go and you can uh, show that you have so much in this account, and they deduct it automatically. Now, most of us know what auto deposit is, right? Anybody that's drawn a social, uh, social security check, automatic deposit, right? That's what they want to do, and, and you do it. And you just look in your account, and there it is. And if they pay you too much and, and you know, they pay somebody and, and, and they die, you know how they do it? They take it right back out as if it was never there. This digital currency is going to be in that manner, which is what? Leading to the mark of the beast and all the things that we read in Revelation. So when you hear any president, whether it's ours or some foreign uh, leader, talking about digital currency, know where it's headed. Right? Know where it's headed. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. So what are we Christians supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be praying to live peaceably. That's all we're to pray. We're not to pray that the world changes because we're praying against the will of God. The will of God says it's going to happen. Ain't no use to pray about it. Some things you don't have to pray about. Somebody blasphemes the Holy Ghost, quit praying for them. 
And you say, wait a minute, maybe there's a chance. Read your Bible. Somebody that blasphemes, there is no hope for them. They'll not be saved. They'll be lost forever. I've marked some people off my list of prayer because they blasphemed. Blasphemed the Holy Ghost. It's a dangerous thing and people can do it, so don't play around with, with church and Bible and things. We, we also understand that things are not going to get better. So we're supposed to be praying, Lord, help me to live a peaceable life. That's what all the Christians are supposed to be praying. Lord, help me live a peaceable life. Help me to get through this life. And, uh, and Lord, we're going to keep our eyes on you because we know this world's getting worse and, and it's getting more evil. Uh, I, I am sure if I was to ask you, has the world got more evil over the past three years, you would say yes. If I was to say, is the world more evil now than it was 30 years ago, you would say yes. Right? How many has to agree the world is more evil now than it's ever been? So we have to understand that we need Jesus in our boat. We need to see Jesus in our storm. When things start turning uh, you know, south very quick, we need Jesus. Now, the world we're living in has all sorts of sin and immorality and all those things going on, but I want Jesus with me at all times. I can't just have Jesus with me when I'm at church. I need Jesus with me when I'm at work, when I'm at home, when I'm driving to church, when I'm going to the grocery store. You need Jesus all the time. The greatest storms that we face does not affect the power of Jesus. The greatest storms that we go through, if you got Jesus, that's why you're still here today. Right? Shipwrecks or something that has happened, and if you, if you do a little historical study, you find that off the coast of North Carolina, off the coast where Cape Hatteras is. That's a dangerous stretch of ocean. And a lot of ships have been shipwrecked there. A lot of ships went down back in the early days of sailing. Ships went down. Even lately, ships have gone down. It's a dangerous portion of the ocean. And the only thing they had to guide them away from the rocks and the barriers and all of the jaggedness and danger of being sunk was the lighthouses. That's what they looked at. When they saw a lighthouse, they knew how close they were to the shore. And if they was too close to the shore, even with the lighthouse there, they could be in danger of being sunk. You know, sometimes people have Jesus near them but not with them. A near Jesus is not the same as being with Jesus. I'm going to help us. A near Jesus is not as good as having a with Jesus because the disciples wanted Jesus in the boat, not just on the water. The disciples wanted Jesus to be there with them on the seashore not just in the next city. 
we got to understand that the storms that all of us face, the disciples, us, who are disciples today, we face these storms, but one thing for certain, if I can get Jesus in my boat, Jesus has never been sunk. He has never been capsized. He has never been taken under. If Jesus is in your boat, he is not just near, he is there. Look at somebody and say, he's not just here, he is there. There's only one letter difference between here and there. So sometimes we think, oh, well, we is close to getting the Holy Ghost. That's still not the Holy Ghost. We is close to getting my healing. You still didn't get healed. Oh, I was close to shouting. You didn't shout. Oh, I was close to getting what I needed today. I really felt I was that close and almost there. Well, almost don't count either. So a near Jesus is not as good as a with Jesus. I want Jesus with me all the time. They sailed and they uh, they began to see the sun setting, the moon beaming. The night started out as any other night and all of a sudden here comes this storm out of nowhere. When you're in the middle of the water halfway through the journey sometimes that is when the worst storm hits. When you first give your life to Jesus it's almost like the devil's afraid to even talk to you. But let you get about midway on your journey. Then all of a sudden we start listening to all those things the devil wants to say. Well, praise God, I guess I'm going to have to give up. I guess I'm going to have to do this. And, And we start listening to the wrong voice. And then when the Lord shows up, we've been listening to the wrong voice so long that it scares us to death that it's the Lord. I believe that uh, somebody wrote the other day and they said, you know, Paul wrote letters to the church all the time, uh, the churches, and he would sometimes tell them, you're doing a great job, keep it up. And then sometimes he'd tell them, y'all need to pray. Everybody knows that, right? That's the, that's the letters from Paul. Somebody said if Paul showed up to today, the churches would be getting letters. <laughs> and that's, that's the truth. We become more afraid of the move of God and less afraid of what the world is doing. It's almost as if we are so entwined with the world that we can't really get broke loose to let Jesus do revival or do a healing or do a miracle. If we're so entwined with the world and all the things that the world stands for, we'll never see a miracle. We'll never see God move. We'll never see a great outpouring of His Spirit. It's it's sad to watch people who, who should be believing Jesus who should recognize him on the water, remember they didn't even recognize him. He said, it's I, be not afraid. Being recognized is one of the greatest things that you can do when you're going through something. You say, I I know Jesus is here. I know Jesus will see me through. I know Jesus is with me. I know Jesus 
The disciples were afraid. God doesn't answer our prayers the same way every time. Sometimes we pray for healing for ourselves and someone else, and God miraculously heals. How many's ever prayed for healing and you got it? Now, how many's ever prayed for healing and you didn't get it? It happens, right? That don't change God. That don't change His power. And, and, and really, it's not even a mark on us. Sometimes God just wants to let us go through some things because the test gives us a testimony. The trial gives us some praise and worship unto our God. What we go through, if they had went straight from Egypt to the promised land, they might have been a lot of people in the promised land disgruntled. You ever seen disgruntled Christians? Most pitiful thing you'll ever see in your life. People that can't be satisfied in church, they can't be satisfied out of church. They can't be satisfied if they got money. They can't be satisfied if they don't got money. They can't be satisfied at all. It just seems like it is just one thing after another that brings them to that place of dissatisfaction. Maybe they helped wrote that great spiritual song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. You see, sometimes we got to understand it's in the storm that we need Jesus the most. We need to recognize him. We don't just need to look and say, what is that? What is that coming at me? It might be your miracle. Let me tell you, I feel the Holy Ghost in this. You might be this close to getting your miracle, and when you see your miracle coming, it might scare the daylights out of you, and you start turning and running the other way. Because it's sometimes hard to recognize a miracle. It was hard for them to recognize Jesus. Some people say, well, I would have recognized Jesus. I've seen all the paintings. I got news for you. Jesus didn't look nothing like the paintings you see. <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci wasn't given a, a great revelation of what Jesus looked like. All them people just wrote and drew what they thought. Have you ever noticed every Jesus is perfect complected? Every Jesus is, is you don't see a fat Jesus. Right? I'm just saying, I've never seen a fat Jesus. He's always muscular. <laughs> He's... He's always slim and trim, and everybody says, well, they had to walk everywhere they went. <laughs> well, here they're in a boat. They ain't walking. They eat bread and fish, so, well, bread's got some calories, but fish ain't got much. So they, they didn't stand a chance on gaining weight. But you know what? They draw Jesus as this particular depiction, and I think that a lot of people's looking for that Jesus. When Jesus might come to you as a still, small voice in the middle of your storm just saying it's going to be all right. Oh, if I could get Jesus to show up at my bedside. Oh, Jesus just saying it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Dance around my bedside, Lord. Walk around me, Jesus. Walk around. Well, I, I don't want him just walk around me. I want him in me. I, I, want, I want him with me. 
the time on the Sea of Galilee, you know, it should have been something that most of these people would have looked at and would have said, you know, we're experienced fishermen. We know what to expect. Maybe they was out fishing one night and something happened and they said, did you see that? You see, sometimes fish flop in the water. If you've ever been fishing, bass fishing, and you go fishing, you'll be fishing and all of a sudden over here out of the middle of nowhere, you hear something go. <laughs> and you look over and there's, there's these ripples. A fish just come up and flop back down. Can you imagine being in the pitch of night and hear or seeing something move in the flash of your little lantern and then fall back into the sea? The disciples had probably seen all this. And, but they heard the stories of people talking about spirits. Oh, if you go out in the depths of night, I know some sailors that went out and they didn't come back. How many knows the Bermuda Triangle? Everybody says, oh, don't sail through, don't fly through, don't go through the Bermuda Triangle. People do it all the time. But every now and then, one sinks. Every now and then, one disappears. Not because of some, you know, something strange phenomenon from outer space and everything else and sea monsters. It's because sometimes ships just sink. Titanic was said, it's the best boat. It cannot be sunk. And a little old iceberg took it out. So here they are in the middle of the darkness, middle of the sea, and all of a sudden they see something coming. Don't be scared of your miracle that's coming. I know people that pray for the Holy Ghost. I'm from a Baptist background. I was number one on the list. When you get near getting the Holy Ghost and you got those stammering lips and you get ready to get another tongue, all of a sudden you get afraid. I ain't never felt nothing like this. I don't know what this is. And the devil starts talking about all sorts of pretentiousness and, and other stuff. I won't even mention it. But the devil starts talking about trying to mislead you and misguide you. Oh, that ain't of God. That's right. That's what the devil's job is, tell you everything ain't of God. Because he's a liar. So if he says it ain't of God, whoo, you're getting it now. If the devil says you can't, you... If the devil says you're too little, you're too big. That's right. The devil's a liar and the father of it. So... So whatever he tells you, you know the opposite's getting ready to happen. And guess what? The devil ain't going to tell you nothing good. He ain't going to tell you, God's going to bless you. God's going to take care of you. That's not the devil's voice. So here they see Jesus walking on the water. They're afraid. Their miracle's getting ready to come. They're getting ready to have a move of the Lord in their boat. It's going to not only take their boat from where it is to where it was meant to be. And I'm going to help us. The Lord wants to take us from where we are to where we are meant to be.
Amen. How many knows it's not His will that any perish? So your storm is not going to cause you to perish. It's not His will. If you're serving the Lord, you're not going to perish in your storm. If you're serving the Lord, you're not going to perish in the adversity. If you're serving the Lord, whatever comes against you is not going to be your demise. It's going to be one day a testimony. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me and it was just in time. Oh, I'm going to praise His name. Each day He's just the same. Come on and praise Him. Look what the Lord has done. Oh, give the Lord a mighty hand. Sometime when you get a chance, talk to Brother Larry about a storm that came out of nowhere when they were fishing one time. How that a sunny day and a calm day can turn into a nightmare very quickly. That's the way the Sea of Galilee was. Basically, any sea, even lakes, become that way. And we find that the Sea of Galilee was just like that. You can have a good day, it be sunshiny, then all of a sudden, in a moment, a storm brews out of nowhere. When the cold weather from the mountain mixes with the warm weather from the water, they form squalls that have claimed the lives of even the most seasoned seafarers. Anybody heard of the Edmund Fitzgerald? They wrote a song about it back in the day of all these sailors that perished. There was a Canadian steel company that owned us at Chisholm, and every bit of the coal that we ran, other than maybe 1% or 2% on the open market, would go to Canada. And they would put it on ships and ship it across the Great Lakes. Storms would rise out of nowhere, and even modern ships would get sunk because of the weight if somebody over, you know, put overweight in them, if they weren't properly um, the pumps and stuff working to keep it balanced and all those things, it would sink them. The Edmund Fitzgerald was one of those ships on the Great Lakes that sunk. And we find that there are many times the Sea of Galilee became a raging sea and a storm-tossed sea, and it would take out people. If you was out there in a small boat, Brother Larry again will tell you about small boat experiences. And I urge you to ask him sometime. I urge you sometime when he's got some time, you got some time uh, to show up before church when he's here and talk to him about this. He's got a testimony about that. It's a testimony of how the Lord uh, heard prayers and didn't just come near the boat, but came into the boat, and everything was okay. We find that the Sea of Galilee is just like this situation. It would be a wonderful, uh, you know, one moment, terrible the next. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all life's storms comes with a check engine light? <laughs> you, you know what check engine light is. It's that light we all ignore until we're beside the river. 
right? Check engine light comes on. We say, ah, that comes on all the time. Well, there's a reason it's coming on. And you will find out one day why it comes on. Uh, I I was uh, watching a check engine light, and it would come on, and then it would go away for a month or two, and then it would come back on. So I just got to where I didn't even, I don't pay attention to it now. And, but I learned one thing. If you don't pay attention to warning lights, the storm's going to be devastating because you're going to find yourself having to put a $7,000 engine. Ooh. You're going to find yourself beside the road broke down, wondering is a wrecker going to come to you. You're going to find those things. This was what it was. There was, there was a storm, and it would have been so great if, if before they ever left the shore, a check engine light came on their boat and they said, oh, we're going to have some trouble here. They probably would have stayed home, wouldn't they? But sometimes the Lord don't want you to stay home in your storm. I've never understood why people do that. I'm going through something, Pastor. Well, come to church. I, I'm going through something. i got to stay home. What are you, crazy? <laughs> Just joking. Don't you want Jesus to be in your storm? Don't you want Jesus to come through for you? Well, I just, I'm just going to stay home because it's a, it's a storm. It's a, it, I'm just going through this. and I might, Now, I understand if you're running temperature of 101. I told Sister Sabrina this when I went and visited her. I said, contrary to popular belief, I don't believe that people has got IV stuck in their arm or to be in Sunday school on Sunday morning. <laughs> but Sister Sabrina's here. And that's exactly, she was, she was in the hospital and had major surgery. Just, just uh, the Lord's been good. The Lord's been good. The Lord was with her through her storm. You can listen to Brother Dennis and you can listen to her son. You can listen to her talk about how that it was a terrible time and it was an uncertain time and, and uh, the Lord was with them. Took them all the way. Surgery went as smooth as silk come out of surgery, recovered, and now here in the house of the Lord, let me tell you, Jesus wants to be with you. Jesus wants to be with you. I want to close with this. When you look at storms, we usually look at the elements of the air. We usually look at things like thunder, lightning. Anybody here that thunder the other night? That was amazing, wasn't it? And snowstorm coming and all that, cold weather and it thundering. Um, we usually think of the elements when we talk about storms. Say, well, storm's coming. Well, it's going to bring maybe an inch of rain or maybe an uh, inch or two of snow or something. But the storms that all of us face has nothing to do with the elements of the air. It has everything to do with spiritual elements. It has everything to do with spiritual elements, which means there's spiritual things going on around us. Our battles are being waged in the heavenly. It's not on a horizontal level. It's on a vertical level. Those things that's going on in the heavens that's causing us trouble causing you spiritual problems, causing you want to stay home, causing you want to give up, causing you problems. That doesn't happen because a preacher didn't pat you on the back. I'm going to help you understand that. 
It happens because there's a battle going on in the heavenlies for you, for your soul. That's where the battle's at. And when we see Jesus coming, we can rejoice once again. Because that's why when I come to church, I want to see Jesus. When I go home, I want to see Jesus. I don't want to just have him near me. I want him with me. I want Jesus with me at all times. And in the last thing I want to bring to us, the church family is surrounded by a lot of opposition. We are surrounded by things that are difficult, sometimes feels impossible. Without the presence of the Lord, it would be. But I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. If you got Jesus with you, give a hand clap unto the Lord. Don't run from Jesus. Run to Jesus. Don't run from your miracle. Stand still in the midst of your storm. Your miracle's coming to you. You don't even, somebody said you got to climb that mountain and when you get there, your miracle's waiting. I'm going to tell you, your miracle will come to you. Your miracle will come to you. Sometimes you ain't able to climb. Sometimes you ain't able to get through your storm and the miracle will come to you. Amen. Let's give the Lord a mighty hand clap as we turn the service over. Jesus is with me when the storm clouds are gathering. I'm glad for that, aren't you? I am glad for that. What a wonderful word. How many enjoyed that word this morning? Amen. Not that Sunday school is not always good. It, it always is. But it, it's always better to you when it speaks directly to you. Amen. And Sister Neil was back there talking. She said, he's preaching right to me this morning. When the Word speaks to you, it hits home, don't it? Amen? And that's when you do what the Word of God says. You write it on the tables of your heart because you want to remember it. Amen? You take it through life with you. I love the Word. Let's give the Lord and Brother McKinney a hand clap this morning. Enjoyed that. Amen, this morning. Have any have any birthdays or anniversaries this morning?
Come on, let's give them a good hand clap. Amen. Amen. Teaching them about Jesus. It's always, you know, I say sometimes if you, if you can't look at a child and watch them doing this, clapping and singing for the Lord, and your heart not be overjoyed, you better check your heart. Amen. Hallelujah. Any birthdays? How will be birthdays and anniversaries? I always like the icing on the cake, don't you? Amen. Overjoys my heart. Birthdays and anniversaries. If we don't have any, Says me the same way. You gotta let go of it. Blessing it is to be able to see somebody and give them a praise. Brother McKinney teaches us to be a cheerful giver, not just a, a giver, but have joy in your heart when you give. Amen. As he was teaching, though, there was just certain had another another scripture or two that I wanted to go with, but there was just certain things that was speaking to me about the importance of knowing that voice. About the importance, you know, if you, if you know the voice of God and you've got a prayer life, amen, you speak to him daily. If you never speak to your parents or a parent never speaks to a child, you're not going to recognize that voice, are you? Acts chapter, chapter 6 and verse 4 says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And all through the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 says, pray without Ceasing, amen. And one last place we want to go to this morning. Of just these thoughts going through my head about the prophet Elijah, First Kings chapter nineteen, and says, "After the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still small voice." He's some thing. He was going through some things. He was running in fear from a woman yes. named Jezebel, yes. fearing for his life because she'd killed all the other prophets. All right. The saints of God, Brother McKinney was talking about fear this morning. We can't live in fear. Right. We've got a job to do, amen. Yes. And we've got to lift up that name no matter where we're at. We can't be afraid, amen, to work for the Lord. And the most important thing that you'll have, it starts with prayer and it ends with prayer. You better start right. your journey with prayer. Amen. And you better end it every day with prayer. No matter what, you better recognize that voice. Because I'm here to tell you in the middle of your storm, Brother Larry, when things are getting bad and the life around you is loud, you're going to need to know that still, small voice. Amen. And the only way, Brother Jerry, that you can do it, you've got to know him. You've got to talk to him. Amen. Hallelujah. How many knows that prayer is essential? That lifting our hands, y'all going to come up front and praise him with us? That's essential, amen, that we praise him. Why? Because I know Sister McKinney, when I praise him, he's in the, in the middle of my situation. He's on the scene when I offer him praise, Sister Pam. Let's praise him, church, amen.
trust in God. I trust in the one that's never failed. I trust in the one that has never let me down. Hallelujah. Let's remember all the prayer requests and all those that aren't here today. Let's remember all of those that raised their hand in the sanctuary this morning. If you have a need, just raise your hand. The Lord is a God that answers prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for being our help and for always being there. You've never let us down. You've never left us or forsaken us. You've always been there. Lord, I thank you for being there in the time of our storm or being there in the time of our mountaintop experience. Lord, you're always there. Thank you, Lord, because you're our healer, and we claim you as our healer, Lord, to heal all of these on the prayer list, all of these in the sanctuary, all of those watching by way of webcast or all of those home that are sick and afflicted. I just pray, Lord, that you would show your power of healing. Give you the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been healed.
in this room can say all my life, he has been faithful. Amen. I just wish I'd been as faithful to him as he's been to me. Amen. We're going to ask our ushers to come. We're going to take up today's offering. Give us the Lord blesses you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come before your presence and we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that you've given us to be gathered here together in your precious name. Thank you, Lord, that we're able to give in the offering. I pray, Lord, that you would move in a mighty, miraculous way for each and every one that has to give, that you will take what we give, Lord, multiply it, use it, get honor from it, and help us to do great things for the kingdom. For it's all in the mighty name of Jesus we ask and pray. Amen. Sails on a troubled sea Whenever there's a wind in my sail But I have a friend Who watches over me When the breeze turns into a gale I know the master of the
Before I'll sing today, um, I just have a little word that I want to share. And I think that I know that the Lord um, today has been trying to tell us all something with um, the Sunday school lesson, you know, about rain and storms in our life and the songs. Um, Eli and I had went to Charleston yesterday, and on the way home, we've always got music playing, but on the way home, it seemed like every song that came on was about rain. And I said, there's something to this. Um, I had been learning a new song, but I chose this one, and I think it's so fitting um, to minister to us all. And It says in this song, I know there will be days when this life brings me pain, but if that's what it takes to praise you, Jesus, bring the rain. All right. And, um, you know, we all know, obviously, that rain um, when it rains outside, it's it washes old things away um, so the new can come again and replenishes and makes things grow. But the spiritual meaning is that it cleanses and purifies right. whenever it rains in our lives. It washes away impurities and brings a new beginning. Yeah. Spiritual rain, just as it does in the natural, can also replenish us and make us grow if we allow it to. In Leviticus 26 and 4, it says, Then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And I know that all of us lately um, have had spiritual rain in our lives, but as the Bible says, He gives us rain in due season, and we can yield the increase as long as we hold on. I pray that we can all take something from this and allow the spiritual rain in our lives to replenish us and bring us a new beginning. Worship with me as I sing. I can count a million times People asking me how I can praise you with all that I've gone through 
The question just amazes me. Could circumstances possibly change who I forever am in Maybe since my life was changed long before these rainy days, it's never really ever crossed my mind. Turn my back on you, Lord, my only shelter from the storm. But instead, I draw closer through this time. So I pray, bring me joy, bring me peace, bring the chance to be free. Bring me anything that brings your glory and I know there'll be days when this life brings me pain but if that's what it takes to praise you Jesus bring the rain I am yours regardless of the clouds that may loom above because you are much greater than the pain you who made a way for me suffering your destiny so tell me what's a little rain so i pray bring me joy bring me peace Bring the chance to be free. Bring me anything that brings you glory. For I know there'll be days when this life brings me But if that's what it takes to praise you, Jesus, bring the greater than the pain you who made a way for me suffering your destiny so tell me what's a little rain so I pray bring me joy bring me peace bring the chance to be free bring me you glory and I know there'll be days when this all brings me pain but if that's what it takes to praise you Jesus bring the rain bring me joy bring me peace bring the chance to be free bring me
is the Lord God Almighty. Is the Lord God Almighty. schedule to preach. Amen. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Sometimes we talk about storms in Sunday school. I'm sure every Sunday school class was about storms. Sometimes it's the rain, sometimes it's storms, sometimes it's wind, and it's not the elements. It's things that try to blow us off course with the Lord. Keeps us away from the house of God. Sometimes we, we're rowing. We're tr really trying to get here. And it just seems like a storm keeps pushing us away. But I'm glad to know that when Jesus is with us and in the boat, we can make it to the land immediately. Amen. We can get where we're going. I'm glad to know that. Well, they had a great time at KYC, and we appreciate all that went. And uh, we look for more to go next year. Uh, some uh, backed out last minute. Some were sick, and uh, we just want to uh, give that opportunity. We're raising a new generation. You know, our, our other generation has just about grown up and all moved off and moved on. But you know what? we got another generation that we got to work on, all these little kids and all these little uh, young ladies and young men, we got to work on getting them to camps and we got to work on getting them involved in KYC and rallies and all those things because that is what is going to be their strength. And um, a lot of things are going to interfere if you try to put them in the world. A lot of things are going to interfere. But I'm going to tell you, if you'll put them in church and keep them in church, it's going to be instilled in them. When they're old, it won't depart. Amen. And... Uh, You'll raise a better young'un by having them in the house of the Lord. Amen. Um, a lot of people say, well, this builds character or that builds character. What does church do? Church builds the most character that, of anybody, the most morals of anybody. Uh, this world's not going to teach you that in the, in the 
whatever they're involved in. You've got to get involved in church. Amen. Well, we're going to turn it over. Let's give the Lord and Brother Caleb a mighty hand as he comes. Praise the Lord. Mighty is the Lord we serve. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. If you agree, say amen. Amen. I love being here today. So grateful that the Lord has kept each and every one of us to allow us to come back into his presence. I feel, church, I feel a, a lot of distraction today. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just uh, coming against me. But I pray that you would pray for me today as I do my best to prepare to bring forth the word of the Lord. Uh, as you flip in your Bible to Exodus 19, chapter 1, or Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1, as you're flipping there, I want to brag on our young people. We did have the opportunity to go to KYC this past weekend. Phenomenal move of God, phenomenal preaching. Just awesome uh, environment, awesome encounter with the Lord that we had. I uh, appreciate the young people that went, and they were, they were great. They were a great representation of this church. Amen. Exodus 19, verse 1, it says, in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. Someone say they camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God. Someone say he went up. He went up unto God. And the Lord called unto him out of the mount, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. If you would join me today as we go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, I pray a hedge of protection over this church, over our minds, over our hearts today. God, we pray that you begin to take away distractions. Leave us with your peace. Leave us with your word. God, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Ghost to fall in this place. Anoint this mouthpiece today, God, as I bring forth your message. In Jesus' mighty name, and the church said amen. Amen. Amen, meaning let it be done. The church said amen. Amen. When we pray, we end it with let it be done. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We end it with amen because we believe when we say, when we pray, the Lord will answer our prayers, so amen. To begin to try and explain the focus point of this message, I would try to be as elementary and as plain spoken as possible. I want to preach to us today on the subject title, The Desert or the Mountain? The Desert or the Mountain? Today, or to start today, I want to acknowledge the simple differences between up and down. You see, this is a concept that is quickly learned as people. In our human culture, we celebrate when a child takes their first steps. We celebrate, we get excited when they stand for the first time, when they scale around holding on to things for support and security. But when the child begins to fall, if you were to look around the room instead of looking at the child, almost everyone has an expression of concern. Because we acknowledge that there is a difference between being up and being down. You see, we get excited for when someone's up and we're concerned when someone's down. There are distinct connections with your geographical location. 
I want you to remember that. When someone is considered on the up and up, they are referred to as succeeding in life. But when someone is considered to be down, they are hurt, they're depressed, and they're afflicted and defeated. By understanding this elementary reasoning, we can begin to apply it to our spiritual lives as members of the body of Christ. We should be excited when a babe in Christ takes their first steps towards the only hope that they will ever have in this world. They step towards Jesus. We should get excited of that. We should be leading them towards that. That should be our goal. That should be our push is to help them get up and get towards the Lord. Amen. We should get excited when we see them pushing towards the mark. We should get excited when we see them up on the mountain. Those are things to celebrate. Those are things to rejoice about. But our duties as brothers and sisters in Christ are, done, are, are not done or limited by the good times. Our duties, do, they exceed past whenever someone sitting beside you is on the up and up. Do not celebrate with them when they are doing well in life, but they can't find you whenever they are down and out. When you see your brother or sister, saint or sinner, babe or elder, down and defeated, you do not judge them. Do not gossip about them. Do not tell them you'll pray and instead you call everyone in your contact list. You pick them up in prayer and you bring them before the Lord. Because we understand as human beings, there are some situations that we can't begin to touch to make better in someone's life. But the one thing that we can do that works every single time, I'm going to lift them up. I'm going to lift them up in prayer. I'm going to bring them to the throne room of heaven. Because I know a God that is greater than any need, than any situation. So that's where I'm bringing them up to. Prayer does work. You pick them up in prayer and bring them before the Lord. There has to be an acknowledgement within this church today. And I'm going to help some of us. There has to be an acknowledgement. There is a difference between spiritually oppressed and throwing yourself a pity party. The prodigal son could have sat in the pigsty where he put himself and began to contemplate all the times someone should have warned him about fake friends. Someone should have warned him about budgeting his money. Someone should have warned him about the realities of the world. But instead of sitting there and throwing himself a pity party, but instead the prodigal son looked at where he was, he saw he was covered in the signs of being down. And he saw this. He saw he was in a bad situation. And instead of throwing a pity party and blaming everyone else, he got up and he went to the Father's house. He went to where he knew there was provision. He knew where he would be satisfied. He knew where he would be taken care of and kept. But it didn't matter, church, that he knew that. He had that knowledge all along. The difference between knowledge and wisdom is application. It was the moment that he realized that he was down in a bad situation. He decided to take some action. He decided to get up and to go to the Father's house. We have to get up. 
after he saw he was in this bad situation, and he got up and he ran to the Father. It does not matter if you're able to get up after being down for so long if you do not know where to go. Did not matter if the prodigal son would have stood up and said, I'm in a bad situation. Begins to look around and scratch his head. Now what? Now where do I go? Church, we're blessed to know where to go. We're blessed to know what the direction of the Lord is sending us, where he's trying to pull us. We know when we're down, out, and broken, we can come to an altar and leave. Healed, leave, restored, leave, put together, leave, usable. But there is a world that does not know that. There is a world that is fighting to make sure there are people that never know that. This is the army of the Lord right here. This is a church that has to decide to stand up, go up onto the mountains, and proclaim that there is a God greater than the gods of this world. Gods with a little G, that is. And you got to get up and get to the Father's house. My son, when he falls on the floor and starts to throw a fit, he is quickly told, Get up, son, stop crying. Or get up, you're okay. And I feel sometimes we need to be reminded to get up and stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Stop thinking that everyone owes you something. No one owes you anything. And no one's trying to just give you something unless they're led by the Lord. And it's few and far between that someone allows themselves to be led by the Lord to give something to someone else. Now, with Deacon, we know the difference between when he falls and is hurt and when he falls and is being pitiful. You see, and we tend to him according to the situation. I know he's a baby. I know this, and don't judge me for saying that. Tell him to get up. Whenever he's just sitting there crying around, he needs to be told, son, get up. You're okay. I know that he is a baby today, but one day he will be a man. And I do not want to be late on teaching him when you're down, you got to get up. I don't want to be late to teach him, son, I know it might hurt, but there you can't stay down because if you're down, you're defeated. You're going to have to push through the pain sometimes. You're going to have to stand up whenever it's not easy. You're going to have to acknowledge God's the only way that you're going to be able to stand. And you're going to have to stand up. Get to where God is. You got to get up. When you find yourself down, men, get up. When you find yourself hurting, ladies, get up. When you find yourself lacking hope for tomorrow and the desire to carry on, you got to realize I may be down, but I'm getting up. I'm getting up and I'm moving forward. I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm pushing towards the top of that mountain. We like to complain about our situations, our hard times, but you know what that is? That's the rough side of the mountain. We've heard it before. Without the rough side, what would you have to grab a hold of to be able to get up? Some rough situations come along. It doesn't mean that God's trying to knock you out. He's trying to give you a foothold. He's trying to help you up. Got to realize I may be down, but I am getting up. That has to be a declaration that you make not only to yourself, but to God 
You need to proclaim it, church. It needs to be a declaration that you make between you and God, and you need to proclaim it so that all of hell and all the enemies of God hears your proclamation that, hey, I'm getting up. I may be in the desert, but I'm headed to my mountaintop. I want you to listen to me, church. You can walk out of the desert and still not be on the mountaintop. You see, a lot of people get satisfied whenever the Lord delivers them out of their situation. You see where they end up whenever they're hurting, broken, and defeated. You see where they run to whenever not enough money is going to get that diagnosis to go away. You see where they run to whenever uh, there's, there's things going on in their family life that they can't, they can't handle. They can't take care of it. They, their hands, they can't even begin to touch the situation. You see where they end up. Whenever they're down, it's easy to call on the Lord. But whenever they get up and the Lord allows them to leave the desert, they're satisfied with that. Church, we cannot be satisfied with simply being out of the desert. We have to have a desire to get to the top of the mountain. Because as you get closer to the top, you're getting closer to God. See, when, when the children of Israel came to the Mount of Sinai from the desert of Sinai, they were simply at the base. I want you to hear me today. They were simply at the base of where God would reveal his miraculous power. They were at the base of it. They were at, they were at the location where it could happen. Reading the scripture text from today, we see a couple of things happen. The children of Israel pitched their tents at the base of Mount Sinai. They were satisfied with being somewhere where God's miraculous power could take place. But they were going to wait and see what happened. Church, we cannot wait and see what happens. You can wait on the Lord because the, the word of God says so. But you cannot wait and see what happens with this world. We need to be pressing towards the top of the mountain. We need to take up our cross and follow after him. We have to be uh, productive children of God. You see, they pitched their tents at the base of Mount Sinai, and Moses went up unto God. Aaron had been right beside Moses through all the plagues and all the pestilence. Aaron had been right there with him whenever the rod turned into a serpent. Aaron had been there whenever all of these things, the miraculous, if we saw them, our jaws would drop. Aaron was there. But whenever it was time to, to, to journey towards the top of the mountain, where was Aaron? Two preachers, only one went up to see God. And you see whenever, if you know the story, of this situation, you know that whenever Moses went up to see God, God provided Moses with a word. But whenever Aaron was simply there to please the people, I want you to hear me, a false god made its way into the church. You have to trust your man of God is invested in prayer. If you go to a church where your man of God is not invested in prayer, that is leaving room for false gods into your life. Be 
because people were not willing to get up out of their tents, out of their comfort zones, out of their pews, if you would. The man of God was the one that had to carry the weight of the church and carry it up to the top of the mountain where he would be spoke to by God. How often do we see that in this church? How often do we see that in the churches surrounding this area? Where the pastor is the one that feels he has to carry the entire service. He has to carry the entire church because no one's willing to respond. No one's willing to get out of their comfort zone. Get it? I, I'm preaching to some flesh today. I feel it. I know it. But I'm preaching truth nevertheless. In the same verse, God said, tell the children of Israel. God had to use the preacher to communicate with his people because they were not positioned to hear him. It's hard to hear from him whenever you won't stop complaining long enough for him to speak. The children of Israel had the same problem then that many Christians have today. The sorry spirit of satisfaction. You can be satisfied in the presence of the Lord, but you should desire more. I don't want you to be satisfied because I because I, I don't want to be satisfied because I'm in a location where God's spirit can move. We're in a church where we know God's spirit can move. But I'm pressing towards making sure God's spirit moves in this place. Every time I come in here expecting that God's going to move, I'm going to make sure I'm doing my part so that he has praise to inhabit. be satisfied because I'm somewhere where God can move. I want to be driven with a burning desire to elevate into the presence of God, to go higher, to draw closer. I want to be like John in the spiritual sense. John was one that he claimed himself as one that God, that Jesus loved. And you see at the Last Supper, John laid his head on the chest of Jesus. He knew that he would be leaving soon. He knew that he was going to be, Jesus was going to be betrayed. So the time that they had together, he was making sure he was getting as close as he could. This world wants to pervert that. This world wants to pervert your time with the Lord, wants to take it away. But you need to make sure that you are making sure that you have a connection with the Lord and that you're drawing close to him. And the only way we can do that is to get up. Do not think that it was on accident that God's presence was on the top of Mount Sinai. This shows us that there are going to be times that we have to press toward the mark. What that means is to push with something pushing against you, the weight or whatever it is. You're pressing because you have a desire to move. You have a desire to get up. See, I want to be driven with this burning desire to elevate into the presence of God. But, to, but so many times I hear, but preacher, this world is so backwards, it's so easy to get my ups and my downs confused. You know, if someone was to be drowning at night and they were to, to begin to try and look up to see which way they need to swim, they get disoriented because the water is so black and it's so dark, they don't know which way to go get confused. 
See, this world is backwards. This world is confusing. But yes, we understand this because God's word warned us of end times and the signs of it. You see, in Isaiah 5 and 20, he says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, to put darkness for light and light for darkness, but put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. If you are considered backwards and different in this different and backwards world, you might be on to something. Amen. It's a compliment. The Lord, the word of the Lord in Leviticus said, come out of the world and be ye separate. Why? Because being a part of this world, being what this world claims is normal nowadays is not a compliment. I, I'm going to keep my mouth shut so I don't get in trouble. But being what this world calls normal is not a compliment. But being a chosen child of God is a compliment that I will take every single day. Church, we need to be different. Be different from this world and let God elevate you higher than your limitations. The moment that you begin to do things for the Lord outside of the realm of your limitations, you can take it to the bank that you have stepped into the spiritual realm and God is beginning to elevate you. But that will only come through dedication, sacrifice, prayer, supplication unto the Lord. See, Merriam and Webster Dictionary defines up as in or into a higher position or level, especially away from the center of the earth. Now, Merriam and Webster Dictionary defines down as toward or in lower physical position. It goes on to also define down as in a direction that is opposite of up. I don't want to lose you today, church. This is important. The direction that is opposite of up. Can't get much simpler than that. If we acknowledge and we apply to being up in our spiritual lives, to being close to God, we have to acknowledge the opposite of that is being out of the presence of God. The Word of God says, John 10 and 28, Neither shall any man pluck you out of the hand of God. If you are out of the presence of God, do not begin to blame your parents. Do not begin to blame your pastor. Do not begin to blame your friends or anyone else. It is your duty to make sure that you stay safe and secure within the hand and the presence of God. Because it's easy to live for God whenever you're surrounded by people doing it. But what about those times that you're stuck in a room by yourself and you're having impure thoughts? You have to make that decision. What about the time that you're thinking about going back to the lifestyle that you had before the Lord pulled you out? You have to make the decision because it is a battlefield that only you and God and the adversary has purview to. So when you walk into the house of God and you, you're feeling down, all you got to do is get into the presence of God. You may, you may ask, preacher, how do I get to a higher place in the presence of God. The answer is stop trying to do God's job. Plain and simple. I told you I was going to be elementary today. Stop trying to do God's job. In a relationship, there are responsibilities of both parties. 
God's responsibility that he desires to, to take, to take on, is to be your provider, to be the Prince of Peace, to be the Everlasting Father. These are all things. He's wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. All these things are attributes and things that begin to describe the God that we get to have a relationship with. But yet we try and take on everything. We're being Martha's. We're being workers. Whenever this, this faith that we believe in, Christianity is not a, a work-based work faith. It is a faith-based work. I hope I didn't lose anybody today. Your works is not what's going to get you into heaven. Your dedication and obedience to his word and your servitude unto him is what's going to get you into heaven. So if he calls you to do works, do it. But if he calls you to sacrifice your work, sacrifice your time, and come and spend time in his presence, do it. Now I know this is going to sound crazy, but I want you to hear me. Sometimes to get up, we got to get down. I don't want anybody to get confused, but sometimes to get up, we're going to have to get down. There's going to have to be some sacrifice of pride and ego. This platform, if we don't sacrifice some pride and some ego, this church is going to continue suffering. Tight but it's right, amen. The answer is stop trying to do God's job. When you step into the presence of God through prayer, which is communion with the Lord, through fasting, which is denying the flesh of fleshly pleasures, he begins to inhabit that praise and acknowledges the sacrifice and his people, of his people, and he will elevate you to a higher realm in the supernatural. All through the word of God, people prayed, and that is when angels appeared. People prayed, and that's when messengers from God appeared with his promises and with his word. We try and take on uh, the, the responsibilities that are God's. We want to bring revival to the church of Phelps, Kentucky. That's great. But the way that we do it is by asking God to do it. By being the mouthpiece for him to be able to work. Through prayer. Through prayer and dedication, no matter if they were down, they're now up. See, God appears to those that spends time with him. You see, whenever you walk into a room and you don't know anybody, but yet you see that one friend across the room, the only person that you know in there, you're going to press through the crowd and you're going to get to that one friend because that's a security blanket for you how it should be with God. But if God doesn't know you and you don't know God, there's no security in him for you. So you need to be make sure that you're getting up every morning and make sure that you know the God that can be your security. See, Brother Jimmy Tony referenced when Satan used the serpent. The serpent was removed from his stature and cursed to be down on his belly. You see, this showed that the serpent had no more stature. This was an obvious example of separation of authority and stature. 
Now, I'm here to tell someone today, we got to stop looking at the stature of our enemies, and we have to start remembering being, uh, we have to start remembering the stature of our God. Because when you look at your enemy, then you look at your God, you've got you to look at the differences in location. Whenever you look at your enemy, you're looking down here. Whenever you're looking at your God, you're looking up here. There's an obvious difference. Why do we get confused with this? Why are we allowing this to distract us from this? Why are we allowing this to defeat us whenever our hope and our, our future is up here? Don't be someone that waits to get a glimpse of how big your enemy is to determine whether or not the battle is worth fighting or if you should just lay down and give up. If you even feel the, the inkling that uh, the adversary is about to come against you, you need to find yourself down in prayer so you can get up in the spirit. You want to know what makes a faithful and blessed Christian? Dedication. When you are dedicated to something or someone, that dedication does not change according to the situation. Dedication to the Lord is not situational. Sometimes you got to be dedicated to God through the desert before you ever get the opportunity to be dedicated to Him on the mountaintop. It was in the desert when the children of Israel complained, God just brought them out of the land of Egypt. And yet they were complaining. Moses prayed and God answered. If you are thirsty, you need to pray. If you're hungry, you need to pray. Amen. Come on, somebody. If you're facing impassable obstacles, if you feel like there's a sickness in your body that you can't get rid of, you need to pray. Why? And you need to trust in the Lord because that is where our help is. And if you're already doing that, continue. The Word of God says continue in prayer and watch in the same and give thanks. That means that while you're praying, you need to be watching for God's response, and you need to go ahead and say thank you, because in faith you're saying, I know he's going to come through, I know he's going to answer. Do not, do not miss out on God's calling because you have excuses. Don't you say, but preacher, I'm tired, I got problems, I got sicknesses, I'm hurting. That's why I'm taking it easy. That don't, that don't justify us being satisfied in the desert. How many people, how many of the children of Israel probably said, I would go up to the top of the mountain with you, but I got blisters from walking in the desert for so long. I got sand in my sandals. Like, man, that's why we call them sandals. Get over it. We all got problems. We all got problems, but we all got the same God that can take care of every single problem, that can begin to help us, lead us up into the mountain. If we, keep, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, it doesn't matter how hard the climb of the mountain is. You know, it did not talk about the struggles that Moses had between the mount or the base of the mount to the top of the mount. It never talked about how hard it was for him to climb the mountain. It talked about the struggles in the desert. But then it talked about him being blessed by the presence of God whenever he decided to get up to the mount. We look at our problems, we look at the situation, and then we decide how we're going to respond. We need to look at our God and respond accordingly. 
to that does not justify us being satisfied in the desert. Having problems, we all got them. Having sicknesses, we're praying for you. That does not justify us being satisfied in our situation. That does not justify us being satisfied being down. You see your pastor get up here time and time again and preach the word of God. You have never heard him make excuses because of his problems. And you never will because it is not relevant to him fulfilling the will of God and preaching the word unto you. Excuses are not for Christians. Excuses excuses are for people that don't have God. I know you're ready for me too, so I'm, I'm preparing to come to a close. See musicians and singers to come. Church, I want, and I stated this at the beginning of this message, and I fought, I felt fought the entire way. I'm going to be as elementary as I can be, as plain spoken as I can be. There's two locations, down or up. I know there's side to side, there's diagonal. Don't don't get technical with me. In the spirit of the Lord, you're going to be down or you're going to be up. You're going to find yourself at times down. I am not condemning you for finding yourself at times down. I'm not condemning you at all. I'm showing you a way up. I'm showing you through experience. If you're feeling down, trust in the Lord because it's, it's, it's only seasons. Do not let the situation in your life determine or dictate whether or not you're getting up. You know, there is a sign that you have depression is that you don't want to get out of the bed. And doctors and therapists, and they'll tell you, you just need to try to get up. You need to push through it. You need to try and get up. Why? Because they associate getting up with getting better. We understand that if we just keep getting up, if we keep pushing towards the mountain, we keep getting towards the top, we're getting closer to our salvation. We're getting closer to our hope. We're getting closer to everything we ever need. We're getting closer to God. Church, you got to climb on the hope. I pray that everyone right now begins to dwell in the presence of the Lord that is here. You got to climb when it hurts. You got to sing even when you feel shackled and the fog of oppression is so thick you cannot see the hope for tomorrow. But Matthew 6 and 34 says, Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What is the author of Matthew? What's he saying? He was informing the reader that we must stop worrying about tomorrow. Stop worrying about where you're going to eat or about what you have to do after this service, after this moment right now. I want you to be present because in this present moment is where you will find Jesus. Stop asking, how will I feel tomorrow? Stop asking, how will I feel? Will I make it tomorrow or till tomorrow? Stop saying I'm so broken today. 
Matthew 6 and 34 says, Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What is that saying? It's saying there are enough problems today for you to worry about. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Right now. And I pray that you are start making your way to the front because the Lord's ready to move in this place. This mouthpiece is getting out of the way. Right now, in this moment, let go of yesterday, let go of tomorrow, and ask yourself, am I down? If you are, it's time to get up. Get up into the presence of God. Hallelujah. Lord, we praise you. We give you thanks.